Hey guys, it's Pete. Just wanted to let you know that my second book, Frankenstein's Soul's Echo, is now available. It continues the adventure from Frankenstein to Life Beyond, which is a direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic novel. Both Frankenstein Life Beyond and Frankenstein's Soul's Echo are available as ebooks on Amazon, iBookstore, Barnes and Noble, Cabo, and of course from EnceladusLiterary.com. Thanks. Now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. With your host, Pete. Do, do I have special powers? I'm setting things on fire with my sizzling eye beams. And Greg. Damn it. You know what? I'm sick of this crap. I'm sick of being the guy who eats insects and gets the funny syphilis. As of this moment, it's over. I'm finished being everybody's butt monkey. And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. Oh, hello there, gentle viewers. You caught me catching up on an old favorite. It's... Wonderful to get lost in a story, isn't it? The adventure and heroics and discovery. Don't they just take you away? Mm. <coughs> Come with me now, if you will, gentle viewers. Join me on a new voyage of the mind. A little tale I like to call... Buffy, slayer of the vampires. So, do 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 And that's why we're talking about Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know if I should come back in or <laughs> if that was wrapping up or where that was going. I don't know, but we're <clears throat> we're going to discuss Buffy, the Slayer of Vampires. Come with me now, if you will, <laughs> gentle viewers, as we talk about a property that's originally well over... 20 years old, and a series that is almost 20 years old. Buffy! The Vampire of the Vampires? Yes! <laughs> so, it's high time that it uh, finds its way back into the lexicon, and... You just want another movie. <sighs> no. <laughs> no. Starring okay. What's-Her-Face... Christy Swanson or whatever yes. her name oh, is. Oh, okay. That's what you're talking about. Yes, Donald absolutely. Sutherland. That's the only thing I was talking about. I, that's what we're doing an episode on is a <laughs> reboot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer with Paul Rubens. Isn't yeah. Rutger <laughs> Hauer was amazing. <laughs> he was like teardrops in the rain. So, yes, uh, Buffy. 
it's a shame. right into that corner. I don't. We're just keeping a whole bunch of cul-de-sacs here, and we don't have a Corey Feldman or a Tom Hanks to save us. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> so, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 1992 awkward movie with Christy Swanson, written by Joss Whedon, but he didn't really like it. Um. And then he got so his how, shot. How did the TV series come about then? Because that movie, as I recall, was not a hit. No, it was not. But Joss Whedon, from what I understand, without doing any sort of research on this interconnected device we call the Internet. Mm. Uh, Swing for the fence. <laughs> he was a <laughs> prominent screenwriter and screen fixer type guy. Sure, he wrote. Sure, sure. He wrote on the original Toy Story Mm-hmm. So that probably just by logic means that he got his way to the fledgling WB looking for content. And what was on the WB before Buffy? I don't know if there's anything before because it started in '97, and so did the WB. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, like Dawson's Creek moves around because they were a time. mid-season replacement, right? I, I. If not replacement, just a mid-season start. Oh, okay. So they only had a, you know, they didn't have a full 22-some run in season one. Nope. But it was Dawson's Creek. Uh, Didn't Martin Lawrence have a show? I think. I don't know what else would have been on the WB. (laughs) I don't know what else would have been on the WB at that point, but neither way. The uh, the TV show, again, probably Joss Whedon knew somebody in the industry. They needed content. He had an idea for a show. They said, write it. He did. And here we go. So uh, the interesting thing is, is that if you watch the first season of Buffy with Sarah Michelle Gellar, you can kind of say that well, the events with Christy Swanson actually did sort of happen mm-hmm. because don't they say that Sarah Michelle Gellar shows up in Sunnydale after all of the events in Los Angeles? Which well, I think that's why she's like labeled a bad egg by the principal. Well, wait, you had a different principal in season one. Um, but don't they talk about her getting like a fresh start and wasn't the first one in like L.A. or something like that? Yeah, so yep. I think you could if I think he made it that way as far as all right, I can't totally divorce myself from that movie in 1992, but I want to get as far away from it as possible. So, <laughs> sure, if you want to say that that actually was the same character, that's fine. If not, that's just a starting point for this story and it's just another uh, a different tangent to to tell it, but that's his idea of the framework of the the legend of Buffy. Makes sense. Did Buffy ever have another name, or was that just her name? Well, maybe somewhere in the development phase and everything, but I think that was just her name. I don't think it was, like, short for anything or a nickname for anything. That's what I'm saying. Is yeah. I, Just somewhere in the seven seasons, did her mom ever mention anything about her, like, a, a here's your full name or whatever? <laughs> Bartholomew. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I I think it was just straight up Buffy. Well, you, sir, are the straight up reason why we're here talking about Buffy. Uh, Because when it was on, it was yet another one of those instances where idiot me 
knows of something because of reading Entertainment Weekly every week, but not really paying any attention. I feel like I'm living in that cycle over and over again. (laughs) Currently, I'm in that cycle with Game of Thrones where it's like all these things are happening in pop culture and everyone and their brother is talking about Game of Thrones, and yet I have zero interest. And I feel like it's a weird correlation to the way I was in the late 90s when... Well, I mean, not everyone was talking about Buffy, but it was on the cover of magazines and people were talking about it. And it was on and I would see different episodes, but I had zero point of reference, zero interest in getting into it. And so it wasn't until you watched them and made a high recommendation and gave us DVDs to watch that, you know, my wife and I didn't really get into it at all until then. And then we just stroll all the way through all seven seasons in a heartbeat. Well, and I didn't like, you know, hop on the train right off the bat either. It was something that I was aware of and it just took me a while to get into checking out. So, hey, America, if you haven't or wherever this is going, if you haven't uh, checked this show out, um, you know, you can debate how well it's aged. It is obviously in some parts very 90s, but uh it's it's definitely worth a look-see, uh, for nothing else, to get a better sense of uh, Joss Whedon as a writer and um, creator and everything like that. So uh, it kind of became shorthand, I think, for a lot of people with... It, the show came along at kind of an interesting time. You had a couple of things going on. You had the whole scream phenomenon, so horror was kind of revived. Um You'd had, I think, kind of a rebirth of the kind of vampire mythos and everything like that, Um, arguably with Coppola's movie in 92. That was 92, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, And so vampires were a little bit more in vogue than they had been since uh, kind of skipped over them in the 80s, unless you want to count that, uh, was it Nicolas Cage or Jim Carrey in that movie? Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Uh, what, Once Bitten or whatever? Yeah, there was always uh, it, vampire It never really stuff. went away, but I mean, as far as like people being a little bit more, this isn't hokey. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, the, the vampire mythos is always there every decade. It's just mm-hmm. whether it's treated reverently or, you know, as a joke. Comedically or, yeah. But it's where, always where it there. Yeah. And then suddenly you get Joss Whedon jumping in and saying, well, I'm going to add jokes and I'm going to treat it reverently and I'm going to add mythology. You had all that going on and you had a shift and we've talked about this in other shows, but you had a shift going on with kind of the nature of storytelling. And this show happened to come along with a group of writers and creators who kind of embraced that and went very much from the tried and true episodic reset every week. Um, kind of storytelling model to we're going to do these elaborate season-long arcs. Um, There's going to be stuff that happened in previous seasons that we're going to build back into. And again, shows would have that happen. Um, But you didn't necessarily have to reset everything to, oh, it was like this at the beginning, so it's going to end like this. Um, So that was something that was kind of new and I think freeing 
and that people really got on board with. The other thing that the show frequently gets credited with is the dialogue and the characterization. Well, I will always claim, even since the beginning of our podcast, that this was the beginning of the modern-day mythology serialized storytelling show. I think Mm -hmm. this was the epicenter because you've always had the soap opera uh, type storylines. I think at this time, ER was the most popular show on TV and it was they were replacing themselves so fast. Who could tell what was going on? (laughs) Sure. But you had serialized storytelling there, but it was still more on a soap opera kind of way. Yeah. Uh, But the first real like mythology, fantasy sci-fi kind of show that is so prevalent now i think buffy was the first one that really made it mainstream that's another strength of the show i think is just you can you can take it in so many different directions i mean they did everything from serious uh kind of very dramatic personal episodes like the body to um talking about uh, different, I don't know, facets of kind of growing up or being a teenager and things like that in a variety of episodes to musicals to whatever. Um, So the fact that you didn't have to just kind of follow a formula that you could open up the storytelling and everything, I think was another kind of gift of the premise of the show. Well, what... uh... What got you to actually watch the show? Was it just because you were in grad school and it was on? (laughs) I think it kind of started that way. (laughs) I think it was just kind of like you'd you'd get done doing whatever it is that you were up to. And it's just like, oh, I don't want to I don't want to think what's on. Oh, this is on. Okay, well, I'll, I'll check this out. And I think it literally did just start as simple as that for me. Um, but. As somebody who was, uh, you know, had always been interested in writing and kind of looked for, I don't know, kind of guides or inspiration or kind of unique perspectives and storytelling and characterization and everything like that. For me, it was um, that hook, really, that got me into the show and into the characters and everything was... Um, seeing the way that the world was kind of presented to you and, um, you know, not being afraid to uh, kind of develop these characters and their relationships in interesting and changing ways, um, I think was really neat to see. Uh, Of course, dialogue, that's something that a lot of writers struggle with, and this was certainly a good example of, you know, it's got a lot of whedonism kind of stuff in it, um, but at the same time, uh, it's more or less kind of believable dialogue. Um, you you kind of had a run of filmmakers and uh, writers there in the 90s who became very enamored with uh, very kind of talky, dialogue-driven characters and films and stuff like this, and um, I think this might have been kind of a outgrowth of some of that, but it was something that definitely resonated with audiences at the time, too. So, Well, and you just 
prove that point by saying the phrase Whedonism, which this is where that comes from. Buffy <laughs> is where that comes from. <laughs> yeah. You've got that, and, and now it's so extremely prevalent with the two Avengers movies that he directed mm-hmm. and wrote. The Whedonisms are strong. and I mean, I personally, I go to Age of Ultron, and on a rewatch... I both like the movie and then I dislike the parts of it where, okay, the Whedonisms, quote unquote, are starting to get a little stale. And what I mean by Whedonisms are the little jokey button at mm-hmm. the end of a dramatic scene. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like an Age of Ultron. This is not a review of Age of Ultron again, but <laughs> it just seems like on a rewatch, every tag of a scene had to end with no matter who the dramatic character was, if they were jokey Robert Downey Jr. or stoic Chris Evans, every single one of them ended with a Whedonism. They all sounded like Xander from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> At the end of a the scene, they'd all just well, quippity quip. And that's this is where that came from. And when I yeah. say Xander, what we're talking about is we've got Buffy Summers, who is the started off is supposed to be her name is Buffy. She's a cheerleader. She's the last one you suspect would be a superhero slayer of vampires, whatever. And then you have her watcher who's Giles. And, and when she gets to Sunnydale, she meets Willow and she meets Xander. And that's the core group of the show. Um, I'm blanking. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. There you go. There's one. Uh, Allison Hannigan is Willow, who is now, or who was on How I Met Your Mother, would be her fame now. Uh, Xander was Nicholas Brendan, who was in drug rehab and is always at Comic-Con <laughs> conventions. That would be his fame right now. And then Giles was Anthony Stewart Heed. And uh, it was in Folgers commercials or something, or some something. kind of coffee commercial, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> that's where that's where I first saw him. <laughs> so that's your core group, and then people would come and go and be constant presences throughout the seasons, and steady characters would be added and dropped, and went seven full so seasons. Got, got their spinoffs, yeah, and spinoff of, of Angel the Vampire with, with, came out of it, but. You just had that core group that went through all seven seasons, and each season had one big bad villain known as Mm -hmm. the Big Bad who would carry through the entire year and culminate in something at the end. And um, it just was, it was just brilliant. There, there were certain low points, which is obvious because they were still under the motto of you need to make 22 episodes a year. And, how many times we have to say you don't need 22 episodes anymore. <laughs> we, the new modern no, television was, is showing you don't need it. Yeah. So you have some highs and lows, but for, for most all intents and purposes, you have a show that just kept gaining steam every year. It just kept getting better and better and better. And, and, and the villains would improve. The conflicts within the groups uh, would change, and uh, with people being added and kind of moving on and everything. The fact that she was progressing into adulthood throughout the movies, and it wasn't something where she just you know 
we didn't go Spider-Man. It's like, let's reboot it. <laughs> We've got to keep her in high school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank God. And they did, like you said, they did deal with reality along with the whole dealing with vampire mythology stuff. They would deal with, you know, Buffy's mother died, spoiler, and she's got to get a job. And, uh, you know, for no one, for anyone who's never seen Buffy, who's some reason listening to this. We're going to be all over the place because it's just too hard to go into yeah. in depth explaining seven seasons. But <laughs> this will totally blow your head off. Is starting in season five, suddenly she had a sister for some reason, <laughs> and that she never had before. Yeah, I remember when I didn't know anything about the show, and you had just started giving us the DVDs to watch, mm-hmm. and all the DVDs hadn't come out yet. Um, I think we were watching it right after it ended. It ended in the beginning of 2003, and I think it was at the end, middle or end of 2003. We just started watching them on the discs you gave us. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. remember that I had a PlayStation 2, and there was a Buffy game that came out. And I got it, and it was weird because, you know, I had that feeling. Like I just said a couple minutes ago, I had that feeling of, okay, this show would be on late at night in a rerun, and I'd see it, and I'd be like, this sounds like something that is genre-based that I'd be interested in, but I'm not really interested, and I have no idea what's going on, what she's talking about, and I'm not really invested. And then we started watching it, and I'm like, oh, now I'm really invested. And I think we got up to, like, season three. Mm -hmm. But the video game came out after season five, so it was all based around events that took place in season five. And if you have seen the show or you watch the show, you know that in season five, a whole bunch of new characters show up. Other characters are gone. New locations are there. And so I get the video game and then suddenly I'm calling you and I'm going, what the hell is a magic shop? And who is <laughs> Dawn? What is this? Like, did they make this shit up for the game? Uh, and that's, I think, a, a testament to the actual storytelling of the show is that they didn't get stale. They always changed it up, and it was always done effectively. They always added new people, dropped other people, and it was very organic while keeping the core four in place. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, that, was, that was so wise of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in the next season, we'll have a sister. Uh, yeah, I, the first season, I think it was just kind of obviously with any show, they're kind of learning the ropes and everything. You kind of get bogged down there early on with kind of the monster of the week uh, formula that you know cropped up in um, Smallville and things like that. Um, but again, you're building these relationships and everything. Season two is, I think, very much kind of a focus on coming of age um, with Buffy and uh, Angel, and then the kind of conflict that where uh, her attempts of coming of age and fostering a romance with him, where that takes her and the other characters and everything. I think season three is really just about the team all being together in this transition period of wrapping up high school and getting ready for the next phase of your life and college and everything. Um, and the stakes are supposed to go up with the mayor character and everything there. Uh, season four is kind of an odd one. <laughs> um, first year in college and they went more kind of technological, I guess, kind of Frankenstein monster esque 
Was that the initiative? Yeah, so they were kind of blending a little bit more. They kind of got away from some of the mysticism in that one and tried to ground it in a little bit different way. Um, season five. Which is funny that you say they they got away from the mysticism and yet the final episode of the season four is just nothing but like this mystical communal spirit like sweat lodge thing that they oh, yeah, good point. okay yeah good point <laughs> <laughs> and they and they they set up dawn so. they they did yeah and then season five was all about that uh i think about family um very much about uh both buffy's immediate family with her mother and mysterious sister and what was going on there and her kind of having this slow, steady destiny that she was being marched to, whether she wanted to or not. And I believe originally that was where it was all going to wrap up, right? It was with season five. Yeah. I, and WB wasn't going to pay for it anymore. So I think it was more of a kind of a, well, let's kill her. And a spoiler. And wrap it up. And then suddenly UPN's like, oh, hey, hey, kids, remember UPN? <laughs> that was another. Well, we're going to bring your Buffy back for season six. So suddenly, Buffy's back for season six. So, how do we do that? And that really could have gone so badly <laughs> that could have gone south so easily and yet they somehow a lot of people find that to be kind of an uneven season um it's uneven or people just don't like it because of the subject material because i think season six is probably it's a toss-up for me between five and six i don't six. have a problem with six but i'm just saying that i've i've heard that that people uh had trouble with it um i think they kind of struggled maybe early on with i I think willow's arc was always intact i think they kind of struggled with what exactly they wanted to do with buffy in season six um see i think which is very much about her just kind of being lost after the events of season five and sure but i think family uh, and everything like that family is kind of redefined i guess in season six yeah, but I think that was brilliant. I think they knew what they were doing, and that's why I think people didn't like it just because of the subject material of the whole point of Buffy being resurrected and then being lost after she's resurrected and having to deal with that. It it was it was dragged out over, you know, the first five, six, seven episodes before they got to the musical episode, which was kind of the transition into the big arc of the, the season. Mm-hmm. But I think it was brilliant because they looked at it they like all writers should. I don't care what your subject matter is. You have to deal with the truth of the story you're telling. So you're, sto- you're telling a story about a vampire slayer who sacrificed herself and is brought back to life by a witch. Okay, get over that. And what's the truth in your story? Well, the truth in your story is if that would happen somebody's not going to be brought back to life and then just be ready to roll as good old Buffy by episode two. Doesn't work like the search for Spock. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about Star Trek things and I'll glaze over until I have to watch all the Star Trek. And then I'll be like getting a Star Trek video game and say, what the hell is with the whales? Um, But I, I think that they played season six out perfectly because 
they treated it like the story they let the story tell what it needed to tell and the fact of bringing her back from the dead where we find out that she was in heaven according to the musical <laughs> and so yeah it's going to take a while for her to readjust and i just think that people who don't like that season it's because of the subject matter not the execution of the show well, I think the tone shifted for it. I mean, it was a season very much about consequences. Um, the villains in there, the kind of geek squad, I forget exactly what their nickname was. Um, the Nerds of Doom or something? Something like that. Uh, but I, I think that uh, was part of it, was just the tonal shift. Um, Giles pretty much disappeared for most of the season, um, which... I think was necessary from a writing standpoint and character growth and everything like that for Buffy and her friends. Um, but, you know, I think fans were kind of like, Hey, this isn't quite the same. So this is not I, I what can we say, are used to. Yeah. Well, this is exactly. different than what we are used to. Stop exactly. the differentness. <laughs> exactly. So I think those things factored into six, not being um, kind of embraced in maybe the same way that some of the previous seasons had been, but it was the first time that such kind of major shifts, I think it kind of happened in the show. But I just, I, I think as you, I see, I don't have the experience of watching it week to week when it was airing, maybe I'd feel differently, but in this modern era and judging by how I consumed Buffy, the vampire slayer, it was, all in one. It was the Netflix model. It was just binge it out and watch it all. And that means that you can look that's right. (laughs) Slash it. (laughs) So you can you can watch all seven seasons and it's just one big grand story. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where the different aspect lies is you have people who watched it live week to week, had to wait, and it seemed like and and I can understand it. It would seem like it would drag out for years because you just got what six episodes worth of Buffy dragging around and Willow's lost and having a fight with Tara, her girlfriend, and and six episodes with maybe a break. I mean, you're you're talking almost two months worth of television watching. So yeah, mm-hmm. I could imagine somebody not being on board with that. But when you look at it as a whole, Oh, as a whole, it's it's great. I just think it's, it's a a brilliantly long played out story that needed the the long play out. And and with, with the way that five kind of played out and wrapped up and everything, it's like, where would you go? You couldn't just carbon copy what had come before you needed to take things in a different direction too. So, yeah, and that's why I think everyone gravitates so much to the Whedon method of there were there were actual there was actual growth and consequences and like we have said a million times in this show about all these TV shows and why I say this is the first of that new era that we're in now is that you just have you have characters that deal with consequences on an episode to episode basis. So you don't have that old X-Files problem of, you know, they blew up Mulder's apartment, and the next week, 
he's living in his apartment and there's no police tape or anything around and he just Scully we just outran an entire cadre of aliens (laughs) I'm very skeptical still Mulder there's several (laughs) explanations for what could have been going on okay Scully (laughs) well the truth is still out there (laughs) (laughs) exactly Uh, yeah just the the whole X-Files yeah so that's where I think this show wins and so now we get on to, okay, this show, I think, was a perfect encapsulation of what it needed to be. It could have gone on a little bit longer. I don't think it would have been beating a dead horse had it gone another season, maybe, especially given the fact that Joss Whedon himself came back and made a whole comic book run called Season 8. I think they're on to, like, Season 12 now. But I know that Joss was intimately involved and wrote a couple issues of the season eight and season nine comic book run where he just said, you know, here's, we, he, he broke it like a TV season and with the writers and they came up with different issues of the comic saying, well, this is what we would do if this was a, a another season of the show. Um, and with those issues, they've carried the story forward. It's very much like the show, or at least the season eight and nine were. I don't know about the following issues of the comics. But there's been some mention and some talk about rebooting it or bringing it back. And I guess it's what we're here for. What say you, oh, buff master? Should Sarah Michelle Geller? I sound like I should be cleaning floors. <laughs> should Sarah Michelle Geller put the spike back on her hand and go back to work, or should we just start fresh and new with somebody completely different and do something different under the title Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Well, I'm gonna drive in a couple of different directions on this, I guess. Um, so if you need to read me back in, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I think part of what made the show so successful unquestionably was Sarah Michelle Geller and her performances and people really feeling connected to, um, the material and everything through her and her performance. Uh, in the years since she kind of has had a love hate relationship <laughs> Uh, with this uh, iconic character that she created and everything. And I don't know if you could get her back. And I don't know if you would get her back in kind of that same mindset or if enough time has passed where it's like, you know, this was great. This was a wonderful period of my life, but I am, I am done with this. I'm at peace with it. And, you know, not doing it for, Movies, or, or I'm sorry, not doing it as a television show might work, but maybe doing it as like a movie or something uh, and getting her on board might work. It would be nice, I guess, if she could slip back into the role and uh, take it in some new directions, but I don't know if that's practical at this point. Well, call me reining you in because uh, <laughs> if you follow this girl on social media, mm-hmm. uh, like the million or so who do, uh, she has 100% embraced that 
part of her existence. Oh, she's made the made oh, the turn she, on that. She uh, almost every, uh, not everyone, but a lot of different posts that she'll do on Instagram. She'll put little hashtags in there that have something to do with Buffy, or she'll, uh, you know, every once in a while she'll have pictures of her and Alice and Hannigan, and it's like, uh, you know, we're together again, ready to take on the the world and. Um, she just she's always embracing it. I think a couple years ago she was in uh, the show with Robin Williams before he died on T mm-hmm. on CBS mm-hmm. or something. She won some award. Uh, I don't know. It was like People's Choice or something. And she even in her acceptance speech mentioned Buffy in the acceptance speech just out of the blue. Oh, okay. Just well, saying. <laughs> just saying. You know, I know I won for this, but hey, don't forget I was Buffy. And that was great. And I didn't get nominated for shit. So <laughs> I'm taking this for Buffy and screw you, CBS and Robin Wayne. So I think she embraces it wholeheartedly. And okay. I, well, I know, I know that she did go through a period there where that was not the case. So I'm glad that she's out of that. And I know that there was a lot of talk, maybe the late 2000s, around 08, 09. I remember there's a lot of chatter about, well, what if we did a uh, Giles, a young Giles, uh, uh, yes, uh, the Ripper, Ripper, yeah, his nickname, and and that kind of went away. But and then there was a, a reunion at the Paley Center a couple years ago where almost everybody was there. Uh, Allison Hannigan wasn't, but uh, pretty much everybody else was there, including Seth Green. Uh, hey. <laughs> and they just kind of had a little reunion talking about doing the show. But mm-hmm. I just I don't know where you can go with this. And it is a property that's famous enough that, you know, somebody out there is still thinking. We've got this property. We need to do something with it. What do you do? I mean, can you foresee saying, all right, let's wait till 2020 and then. Let's get a hire a a fifteen year old girl, set it in high school, make some changes, and do a new version of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Allison Hannigan is the new Giles. Uh, but I, but then but do you tie it in? It's the the new Ghostbusters problem. Do you tie mm-hmm. it in with the part previous, or do you just start a new? I mean, I guess we'll find out next month how that works. But yeah, we will. Is it? See, I think you you. It's a double edged sword because you either are so tied to what came before that you're going to spend your entire time doing nothing but being compared, or you embrace it, tie yourself in, and then try and spin something new. And yeah, Allison Hannigan can show up and be the new principal. I'm Principal Willow Rosenberg. <laughs> It'll be like the first couple seasons of Angel. <laughs> and who knows? Faith might drop by. <laughs> this week it's Spike, fresh from Sunnyton. <laughs> <laughs> and watch out. Here comes Mr. and Mrs. Furley. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wrong show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you watch Angel? No, I thought you were going to ask me if I watched Three's Company, and I would oh, say, of wow. course. Of course you did. <laughs> Who didn't? <laughs> Who didn't want to see Jack Tripper and his craziness? The Ropers, too. <laughs> oh, the Ropers, yes. 
God. There you go. We talk about we'll just, television. That'll, that'll be the reboot. We'll just blend the setup for Three's Company with Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about TV in the 90s. <laughs> But we'll just, oh God! We'll late just kill two birds with one stone and reboot them both. Damn it! God, late seventies, <laughs> early eighties. Every single show was spun off from Happy Days. <laughs> it's like whatever side character showed up in Happy Days, you're getting your own show. Oh, Mork from Ork and Alien, you're in Happy Days. You know, you got your own show. What? <laughs> this is so weird. Um. Ah, that was a tangent. Okay, anyway. <laughs> it could work. Uh, I, I Just think of the Pratt Falls. Vampires? <laughs> so you've got two. I, I would think you only got two choices with this property right now. You either bring the original crew back on, and it's another adventure and maybe some new people, or... It, you have to think, okay, maybe a little too old for that. So it's the new batch and like our Goonies episode. It's the new batch and you've got the older ones who are there to teach. How often does something. that work? I'm honestly trying to sit here and think if there are <laughs> any examples of that working. And I can't think of anything right now. All I can see is... uh Nope, that doesn't work either. <laughs> I can't think of anything. I was going to say one of the things that I think people really connected with um, kind of consistently over the course of the uh, series was this, you know, kind of exploration of what it was to be a female hero and um, just, you know, fe- feminism topics in general and everything. And would that be something that you feel that they covered enough? Is that something that there are more facets that could be kind of explored or I think there's always facets to be explored. I think this takes us into a big roundabout circle back to where we started is where we always say on these things, should this be done? We know it can be done, but should this be done? (laughs) And I will stand tall in very confidently, I will say, if I had to make a list of the top three greatest television finales of all time, I would put Buffy in the top three because it wrapped up everything it needed to wrap up so perfectly, but still left it open for, yes, they the characters will move on and do something else after this. And you can do the season eight comic book to show what they would have done afterwards. But it was wrapped up so exquisitely that do you want to screw that up at all? Meaning that you just need to do a completely hard reboot or don't do anything at all. Would you? Okay, here's here's one for you then for time frame. Now, obviously, this would depend on whether or not you wanted to bring back kind of the bulk of the original players or if you wanted to go in a different direction. You mean SMG and her whole crew? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I mean. (laughs) Would would you want it to just be like, okay, X number of years have passed. It's like you just take it like, okay, yeah, all that crazy shit happened in the late 90s, early 2000s and... 
we're at we're at now now type of thing and just kind of like ash versus the evil dead <laughs> the thing as far as time goes would you want to do something where it's set eh, not real far in the future but um far enough away from kind of the original show and everything beyond now make it like the 2030s or something like that uh where society would still be recognizable and function in more or less the same way and everything but you wouldn't have to worry so much about crossing over the you know teacher model or anything like that with the other characters because it's like well it's been enough years that and you could set it anywhere on the planet if you wanted to uh and kind of play it out with that or would you want to do more of what they did in a number of episodes and pick up with the uh development of a slayer from the past do kind of a prequel now there, yeah that's something i didn't even consider because as you were saying all that i was actually thinking of what a success ash versus evil dead is and how well that worked that how cool just imagine just imagine (laughs) if you could actually say because just you the thinking about who was in the writer's room for buffy Mm -hmm. it's just staggering as to where they are all now they're yeah, you'd get them back something. for maybe one or two episodes a season max if you were really lucky. Yeah, but, no, I'm not even yeah. thinking season. I'm just thinking how cool would it be if they came up, if Joss Whedon just came back and said, all right, I have an idea for a five-episode mini-run. doesn't have to be a new show. doesn't have to be rebooted. It's just simply five or ten episodes. We can get everybody back. And go to all those writers, Marty Knox and Drew Goddard. Um, Jane Epson. Yeah, Jane uh, yeah, Epson or whatever her name is. Yeah. Uh, just all of these different writers that have come out of that show and just say, all right, we can come back. We can do it all. Kind of like with Sam Raimi, Rob Tappert, and Bruce Campbell came back for Ash vs. Evil Dead. Let's just bring everybody back. And if you think about it, most of the cast are not really like these huge in-demand superstars. I mean, the the biggest name modern day right now, I'd say, is Allison Hannigan because of the whole How I Met Your Mother run. How I Met Your Mother run, yeah. But that's done. So, you know, she's got a family. Sarah Michelle Gellar's got a family, and she does some voice work for Star Wars Rebels. Uh Anthony Stewart Heed have not seen in a while. Nicholas Brendan's just running around doing Comic Con conventions inside of getting arrested. <laughs> um, Emma Caulfield as Anya is pregnant as fuck, according to her Instagram hashtag. Every time she posts a picture, okay, um, <laughs> good for her. Congratulations. And then I don't. And then you know, uh, everybody else I is kind of scattered. I was going to say Marsder Boreanaz. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all over the place. But I think if you could find a way to just get Joss to say, if if he were inspired to do it, I think it would happen. I think he has so much clout that I, he's one of those types that I, I have a feeling people would do anything that he would freaking ask. So if he suddenly had a 
some sort of inspiration and said, hey, guys, I want to show up and I want to do 10 episodes of Buffy, not a comic book. I want to do it for real. What is she doing now? And there's a new threat that comes out that only she and the Scooby gang can take care of. And maybe not have, like, all of the core in every episode, because I think that is something that could maybe get a little cheesy or, or awkward, but... Well, just don't handle it like they did the fourth season of Arrested Development when they couldn't get everybody, couldn't get everybody together. together. <laughs> <laughs> but That didn't work. Yeah, but you can have it to where they are split up. Like in the, the season eight comic book version of Buffy, they had... The the story was is that each, each of the main characters was like leading different groups of the new found newly awakened slayers from the finale of season seven and they were all in different groups all over the world so they were all separated you could do something like that where they're all working in different sections of the world and then say it's a 10 episode arc and our core four do not come back together to like episode six and that would be just an incredible moment if you just can have this build up if it's something good you get to like six or seven and all of a sudden just to build up for whatever the big finale would be all of a sudden you see buffy xander willow and giles all there together now again anya's dead so i'm not sure how she'd actually come back and, well you know it's it's magic but but dawn is still around and andrew is still around and i was gonna say well not knowing exactly what's happened in some of these different comic runs and uh, basing it solely off of the end of season seven i think you'd probably have to do something like that just because you've spread the power so broadly correct but i just think that it that is about the only way I could imagine it really coming back. Now, your idea of going back and doing the history of the Slayers, I think that would be something kind of cool. That, that, that could be the the annuity that just keeps on giving for Joss Whedon, is that he could just do <laughs> the first season, mini season, is bringing the old gang back together, and then subsequently he could do God knows how many seasons of, well, here's the Slayer from the 1600s, and... It's a Game of Thrones type feel for the people who love that now. So here's that Slayer, and here's a Slayer from, you know, 15 BC in ancient Rome. And let's tell a story in that time. And you could just cross all of these time frames and genres with the through line of who's the Slayer and be kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the Slayer during the Civil War? And see see how different people have kind of handled the power, how different people, what kind of challenges they faced, what different kind of forms of evil it's taken. Um, you know, people who have been alone in the fight, people who have kind of had a group like Buffy had. Just how how have things played out over the centuries with this? Yeah, I think that could be pretty sweet. But uh, that's kind of uh, it's kind of Buffy. That, as far as what else you got, because I think that would be quite cool. 
only if you brought the original crew back. I think rebooting it from scratch would be really pooping on something that <laughs> still stands up. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's other things that I would want to ensure don't happen if they were going to do rebooting in whatever form it might take. Are there any things that you can think of where it's like, oh, please don't do this, or... Don't have ghosts. We never had ghosts. So don't don't cross that bridge. <laughs> they he always played with ghosts, mm-hmm. but it never ended ha- up happening. Yeah, that's like true. there was that one episode where well, uh, Don thought his mother was back, but no. And then there was wasn't, one episode. wasn't there wasn't wasn't there a ghost in season two? Wasn't there like some? romance that had taken place at the high school back in the 50s or something like that and yeah it's was possible like the but i don't ghost student and teacher and they were locked into uh living yeah. reliving the night when one of them killed the other one or something like that yeah but i don't know i don't, have, don't have any ghosts of like characters we're familiar with yeah i guess that's okay. what i'm saying is is you you don't have to bring a slashed and gashed ghost Anya back just for a joke, or you don't have to bring Spike back because even though Angel somehow brought him back, he's he, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> dead is dead. Yeah, I I just hope that the, if they were going to do this, I mean, you know, fan service aside or whatever, it's like please don't throw the kitchen sink into this. We don't have to see every single character who was even tangentially on the show referenced or brought in or, you know, hi, remember me? I dated Buffy in season whatever. Um, <laughs> just keep keep the narrative moving forward, I guess, is what I would Correct. Be honest and true. have to be able to do. Don't just make it a callback. Yeah, continue to be true to the story. Continue to be true to the reality of the story that was created. So if they're going to do it, what is the reality of 15 years later from where we left him? What's that reality? Well, maybe Xander is married and lives in a in the suburb somewhere, and he doesn't even deal with vampire slaying anymore. He's like, I haven't done that in 10 years. I just don't deal with it anymore. Period. It was, it was an old job I had or something. I grew up. It, it's just something like that, to where he, there's a reason for him to come back, but it doesn't have to be. All right. Well, these people are 20 years older, but they can't act like they're in high school again. Walking down Sunnydale, it, it has to be more of like a high school reunion type thing where. They have personality traits, but and there can be some fun callbacks, kind of like the final, the finale episode when all four of them are standing in the middle of Sunnydale High. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe we're back here again. But they're not walking around quipping with backpacks on, talking about their next class. They're just, <laughs> it's just a, a a fun little callback while they're in the midst of doing something. Yeah, we're moving. Moment. We're moving things forward. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that would probably be the biggest thing for me is don't don't do too much 
name dropping or faces waving from the crowd type of thing. It's like if they have a actual reason to be there and not just to play the role of like Basil exposition in a scene and then be like, see ya. But um, I do think that it would be would really, be really freaking cool if they did a 10 episode. Let's just say this. All right, here's, here's the plan. Joss Whedon has an idea. Joss Whedon has an idea, brings everybody back. There's a mm-hmm. cool 10 episode arc. Somewhere in season, or season, somewhere in like around episode four or five of the 10 episode mini run that he's doing, somebody has to come in and start singing as part of their part of their scene. <laughs> and you could just see everybody roll their eyes going, oh God, not again. And they bring that demon back who was the guy who caused everyone to start singing. So they don't have to have a few full musical episode, but just have a, like a good 10 minute nod to one of the things that this show is most famous for, which is having a full musical episode. And I think that would that'd be so cool. It's just in the middle, all of a sudden, they just start breaking out in songs like, oh, God, no. <laughs> that'd be that'd be that'd be pretty sweet. Well, I'd like it too if they uh, continued to build up some of the mythos of the whole thing with making references to characters and places and events and things like that, like they always did previously. Even if we haven't seen it in the intervening years, if we're doing something kind of in the same timeline uh, and everything, so that would be neat. Um, but yeah, just don't rest on your laurels if you're going to go through the trouble of bringing it back. Have a have a real purpose in it and a story to tell with it, something to say with it, which is what the show was always good at. Yes, have faith be grown up and not talking <laughs> like faith always talked. <laughs> not necessary anymore. It's 15 years later. Elijah Dushku will show up and do something a little bit different, and it'll be fine. Just make sure that Tom Wank shows back up as Andrew, and he's the only one whose character has to be identical. He has, <laughs> Andrew has should not have changed at all. Bit. <laughs> he, he's still the biggest geek on the planet. That would be fantastic. Uh, on that note, is it time to say goodbye to Sunnydale? I, I think we should bid adieu before the vampires come out. Or we should walk through the fire. Nothing. <laughs> Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. Okay, but ah. Uh...